1: and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: Welcome to this episode of Gone Medieval from History Hit. I'm Matt Lewis. It's probably no surprise that I've thought about being able to travel back in time to the medieval period. I'd probably want to be fairly rich, mind you, if I had the choice. If it ever happened though, how would I actually cope? There's a myriad of ways in which the medieval world was different to the one that we live in today. No internet or smartphones for one thing, and I'm old enough to remember that horror, kids. Fortunately, the wonderful Tony Mount has produced a new book entitled How to Survive in Medieval England. And Tony joins me now to give us some pointers on surviving there. Thank you very much for joining us, Tony. It's good to be with you, Matt. It's great to talk to you again. So I've landed in medieval England, something I've always thought would be pretty cool. And I guess the first thing is that my clothes will stick out like a sore thumb if I arrive dressed like this. So what would I have to get hold of in terms of clothing to be able to blend in a bit better?
2: Well... Definitely no jeans, t-shirts and trainers. I would suggest you do a little bit of research before you go. Basically, girls, it's long skirts, no trousers, sorry about that. For the boys, you might want to borrow your sister's tights, because They could look quite good (laughs) again. So it's doublet and hose for the boys, which is a kind of belted jacket with your sister's tights and for the girls long skirts. Cover your arms, and if you're a married woman, I'm afraid you've got to cover your hair as well. It would probably be safest to do a bit of research before you go. But as soon as you get to your medieval period, I suggest you go and visit someone called a fripperer. Fripperers deal in second-hand clubs. There's nothing grubby and dirty about it. Everyone but the rich wears second-hand clothes. It's also a lot quicker in an emergency because if you have your clothes made for you, it's a very long process and you could have to wait a couple of weeks for your new outfit. So definitely visit the Fripper. They might not have the absolute up-to-date fashion, but you will definitely blend in because most other people are also wearing stuff bought from the fripper or hand-me-downs. So uh, I suggest that's what you do.
0: It's a good place to start. So how easy would I find it to get myself dressed in the clothes of the medieval period? So I think a lot of dresses are lace up at the back Not that I would necessarily be wearing a dress. And the men's clothes are quite often sort of, they're kind of sewn, like stitched together, aren't they? Sort of tied together.
2: Well, they can be a bit tricky. But basically, once you're dressed in the morning, you can stay dressed. So for the men, yes, your hose, those things which look a bit like tights, are normally laced to your shirt. But if you need to go to the loo, you've got flaps front and back, so you don't have to unlace. And if it's cold, you probably keep it on at night as well because um, they don't wear night shirts. If it's warm enough, you sleep in the nude. And if it's not, you can keep your undergarments on, your nether clouts. So for the men, yes, everything, laces or buckles. No zips, no Velcro, no poppers. You do get hooks and eyes, or especially on things like cloaks that fasten at the neck. And you do get buttons, but buttons tend to be for decoration, not for fastening. And the lacing down the back of the dress that you mentioned, that's for people with servants. It's their way of showing that they're wealthy enough to have a servant get them dressed. So, ordinary women tend to lace their gowns down the front so you can see what you're doing. But you do have to be careful with your lacing the sort of cross lacing where you start at the bottom and keep crossing it up to the top. Respectable women do not do that. The idea is that cross lacing is very quick to do up and undo. So it's prostitutes who have to get their clothes on and off in a rush who cross lace. But other people use one long thread and go over in some spiral lacing which gives an effect of straight lines across the front of the lacing and that's straight laced or respectable.
0: Ah so that's being a straight laced person that's similar to how we would lace up shoes these days there's sort of two different ways of doing it with the crossover or or the sort of spiral so right so we need to stick to the spiral and all be very straight laced and careful.
2: Yes, yes, if you want to be respectful.
0: And is it true that people tended to change their underclothes more often than their outer clothes, and that was what got washed? It was the linen underwear that gets washed rather than the outer clothes very often?
2: Very much so. All but the poorest of the poor would have a couple of changes of leather clouts, your undergarments, which for the men would be a shirt and sort of drawstring pants and for the women was a shift which was just like a very long loose shirt. These would be made of easily washed linen and the idea was linen soaks up the sweat so your outer garments which could be made of wool which difficult to wash and keep nice Or if you're wealthy, velvet or silk, you can't have it dry cleaned, so it's best not to wash your outer garments. But if you keep washing the undergarments and put them on clean, it's amazing how fresh your outer garments will stay. It's
0: the humans inside that are dirty rather than the world outside.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly that. Yes, there is some discussion about whether women wore knickers and I think they did. Knickers were actually found in amongst rags, found underneath 15th century floorboards in a castle in Austria and these were sort of tied each side on the hip briefs. And they also found bras, which um, are mentioned, both are mentioned, in um, medieval manuscripts. Not so much in this country, but various continental sources talk about breast bags, which prostitutes tended to pad out to make themselves more voluptuous. And there are also a couple of French court cases in which girls were raped. And it described how the man ripped off the girls' nether breeches, which have got to be knickers. So the evidence is gradually building for medieval women wearing knickers. Which is great because when I do reenactments in costume, I do like to keep my nether breeches on.
0: So, if I manage to get myself properly dressed, I might be wondering where in England I could have landed. So, how might I go about finding out where I am given that I can't get maps on my phone or anything like that?
2: Well, this is a big difficulty. You must be a traveller, otherwise, you'd know where you were. And any traveller asking the way is uh, suspicious. You're an outsider and nobody trusts people, they don't know. Also, um, there are no signposts, mainly because most people can't read, so there's no point. And it is a very difficult problem. You could well ask which way is London. And the locals, if they don't like the look of you, will probably point you in the wrong direction. Always supposing they can even understand what you say. Local accents are going to be far more pronounced than they are today. I still had trouble understanding Geordies and Glaswegians, but back in the day, For example, a merchant from Hull was travelling abroad by ship. This is a story told by William Caxton. And William tells us how a merchant from Hull, his ship was caught in bad weather and they landed in Kent. And he asked a local woman if she had any eggs because he fancied eggs for breakfast. And she looked at him, shook her head and said, don't speak French. And this was a man from Hull. So he had to rely on a friend who understood Kentish to ask for eggs, which the Kentish people called iron. So the words could be very different. And in his book Caxton says, so which word should I use? in my printed text so everyone understands. Regional variations are one thing, but even your receive pronunciation, as it was, might well have been very different. Geoffrey Chaucer was born in London and lived in Kent, but his writing is Middle English but using what was called a Mercian accent. And Mercian is the Midlands. That's what they spoke in London. So for all I know a London accent could have sounded more like Derbyshire. And some people say it sounded more like Somerset with the S's pronounced as Z as in Somerset rather than Somerset. So it's difficult for us to know what the language sounded like anyway. All I would tell you was to listen and keep your mouth shut because it will mark you out as a foreigner. A foreigner was anyone not from the village. So, uh, And if you're really, really foreign, you were called an alien. So... Uh, if you don't want to be remarkable, it's a foreigner or an alien, keep quiet.
0: I mean, keep my mouth shut and just listen is advice that I get quite a lot, yeah. actually, to be fair. Yeah. so. <laughs> and so accents were very different then. And you mentioned so the word for egg could be quite different. But how different would the general language have been in conversation, even assuming I could pick up someone's accent? Would they use words and language that was very different to what I would use?
2: They might well use some familiar words that don't actually mean what you think they mean. One word that youngsters love to use today is amazing. Everything's so amazing. But that didn't mean fantastic and wonderful. That meant totally bewildering. A maze, as in the maze at Hampton Court, say, is a place to get lost in. And that word actually comes from amaze, meaning to bewilder and confuse someone. What other words do we have? Things like nice. Never tell a woman she's nice. It means fussy, scolding. Nitpicking the sort who would be um, taken to court by her husband, and tried for being a scold. So
0: you could take your wife to court and try her for being too nice.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes, nitpicking and being generally a pain. That's what nice meant. And uh, naughty is a good one. Naughty wasn't what you would call a toddler who was misbehaving. Naughty was the word to describe a murderer or someone who was so bad they were not even human. They were naught, so that was a very bad thing. But you could very well call a child silly. That's perfectly acceptable. Silly means sweet and innocent, so you do have to watch even the words you think you know what they mean.
0: It's amazing how many of those words have really flipped their meaning all the way around. You know, naughty goes from being the one end of absolutely diabolical to something that we call someone who's being a little bit mischievous. And you know, some of the words there just meant the exact opposite of the way that we use them today. I can imagine you get myself into trouble quite easily. <laughs>
2: You could, yes. So keep quiet. <laughs> Again, it's. Um,
0: We're um, back to shutting up. Yes. listening. <laughs> <yes. laughs> Have you ever thought about sex in ancient Rome? Perhaps you've pondered over the origins of civilization, or maybe you've had restless nights contemplating where Alexander the Great's lost tomb might be. I know I have. If so, we've got the perfect remedy. It's the Ancients on History Hit, the ancient history podcast. We've got interviews with leading experts on all of the above and so much more. So, why not give the podcast a listen? Subscribe to the Ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?
1: You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit eBay.com for terms. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
0: So I'm never very far from being hungry, if I'm perfectly honest, but I'm also a pretty picky eater. So what might I be able to expect to get my hands on in medieval England when I get a bit peckish?
2: Mm, Well, it's going to be seasonal. There's none of this importing red peppers from America and tomatoes from Spain. You can only have what grows locally and what's in season. Unless it can be stored. So also for the horror people, it's going to be 95% vegetables. So if you're a vegetarian, you're probably going to do okay. If you like your meat, then you've definitely got to be rich. I'm afraid you've also got to like fish. Fish is on the menu at least twice a week and every day throughout Lent and Advent and the eve of every important feast. So uh, while the rich are eating salmon and trout and cod and all the really nice fish, you could well be living on eels which were cheap and white bait and that sort of thing or even crab, shrimps, whatever could be called, locally. So you were luckier if you lived on the coast, there would be more choice. It is possible just buy a snack. Most towns have cookshops of some sort, which were surprisingly sophisticated. There's a super 15th century poem called The London Lick penny. It was probably originally the London Lack penny. comes up from Kent, you know, miles away. He's a country bumpkin and he wants to bring a court case to the King's Notice. Well, the first thing he finds is that you can't sneeze in London without paying for it. And he hasn't got any money. But he goes to Westminster and it's dinner time, and every sort of cook shop puts a table outside, puts tablecloth on it, offers him a stool, gives him a spoon until he says, well, I can't pay for this. And then suddenly it's all taken away. And the same thing happens everywhere. The real sad thing in it is that early on, someone steals his hat. And later on, when he's given up, he's walking back through London to cross London Bridge back into Kent. And he sees his own hat for sale in a fripper at shop and he can't afford to buy it back.
0: Oh, it's a pretty sad story.
2: <laughs> yes, it is, but everything he wants to do costs money. But if you had money, you could dine quite well. Outside, fresco, if the weather's nice, or buy something from a cook shop. Pig's trotters were very popular takeaway snack. In season, in the summer, peas cods, which sort of mange too, fried in butter, were very popular takeaway.
0: So it sounds like I'm going to be needing some money if I'm here in the Middle Ages for any more than a day trip. So... How might I go about making some money? What kind of jobs were available? And would I understand the kind of money that I was getting given and how much that was worth?
2: Well, it's pounds, shillings and pence, so you'd understand that. But you'd probably only ever see pennies and groats. Uh, A penny was silver, quite small, about as big as your thumbnail, and you could actually cut that in half... Then it would be a half penny cutting quarters. That would be a four thing or farthings, as they came to be known, which was a quarter of a penny coin right up until nineteen fifties. A groat is fourpence, and again that can be cut into four equal parts to make four separate pennies, which would actually sort of be triangled shaped like a slice of cake and that's probably all you'd ever see six pennies were a week's wages for some people but skilled people carpenter or someone like that might get paid sixpence a day but you could buy a jug of ale for a farthing or a halfpenny for the better quality What was called a household loaf, which was meant to last a whole household of about up to 12 people for every meal of the day cost a penny. So a few pence would go quite a long way, but you'd have to find a job that you could do and I'm afraid it would probably be labouring because even if you were a skilled jeweller or a leather worker you would either have to work out in the country or if you came into town you'd have to pay to be a member of the guild otherwise they wouldn't let you work and of course how many Country communities need a skilled jeweller, not many of them, or fancy shoes or something like that. So uh, getting a job will be difficult and about the only thing you can do without retraining and buying your membership of a guild is hard work.
0: Probably hard work in the fields. Is that seasonal as well? Would that depend on what season I'd landed in?
2: Well it it would be seasonal but there's nearly always a job to be done so you've got ploughing and kids used to run behind the plough picking out the stones which they then threw at the crows when they were planting the seed corn to keep them off. You could get paid a farthing a day as a crow scarer, and that's real human crow scarers, not scarecrows. And then you've got planting, once the crop begins to grow, you've got weeding, then you've got harvesting crops, and it goes right the way through. So it's only sort of Christmas up until what was called Plough Monday. Um, It's the first Monday after Epiphany. Ploughs are taken to church and blessed, and then it's back to the fields.
0: And so if I've arrived in winter and it's probably getting quite dark quite early, I might need to think about where I'm going to stay and where I might get some sleep. So what accommodation might be available for a traveller, given that I'm going to be under suspicion if I'm a traveller? Is anyone going to want to put me up for the night?
2: Oh, yes, they'll be very willing, so long as you've got some money. If you haven't got any money, there are so many abbeys, priories, hostels, which were often called hospitals, but they were actually places where you could be put up for the night. It was basically one night. But you'd also get food you'd have to share a sort of communal dormitory you might even have to share a bed with a complete stranger but if you didn't have money to pay the monastery or whatever in the morning you could always do some labour for them do, you know do the washing up or help with the laundry or grass in the meadow or something and that'll be a way of paying for your board and lodging. Board by the way means board the table you eat your food off so board refers to the food and drink.
0: Fascinating. So is there anything that we do day to day today something that we might consider a habit or that we do routinely that would be considered bad behaviour in medieval England that might get me into trouble?
2: Oh certainly. If you think of crowds in shops, maybe getting on commuting, you know, all those millions of people barging along the pavement, that is just so, so bad. That would be considered riotous behaviour. There's no elbowing your neighbour to get in front of the queue. This is just so bad. Everybody had their place in society. And this was shown by how you were dressed. And one thing, you must have, Matthew, a hat. That was why that poor boy from Ken who had his hat pinched was in a bad way. Because you must have a hat in order to doff your hat to everybody Who's above you in the social system? And you can tell that by the way they're dressed. So if you see a person with a fur collar, you have to step aside and bow your head and touch your cap and let them go by. But people lower down the scale than you, so a beggar with those shoes, has to step off the sidewalk, as it would have been called, to let you go by. And if the king goes by, or anybody on the horseback who's bound to be above you, you have to get out of their way. Uh, it's not a case of them minding you, you've got to mind them. And if they look like a lord, you've got to bend the knee and actually remove your headwear. So it's all very polite.
0: think it's one of my pet peeves people barging on the pavement so that's one area i'd probably be quite happy in medieval england although i guess i'm probably i'm walking everywhere aren't i'm i not having a horse unless i'm a a very wealthy nobleman or something
2: not less so rich
0: so one last thing from a an entirely selfish point of view from me i am horrendously short-sighted how would i cope in medieval england would i be able to get new glasses how far advanced was that kind of thing in those days or would i literally be struggling to see anything and work and all of those kinds of things because how bad my eyesight is
2: well matt you and i have been the same but because i'm also very short-sighted i suggest you take your contact lenses or your glasses with you and take the greatest care of them Nobody will be shocked at you wearing glasses, because glasses were invented at the end of the 13th century. What they will think is strange is when you wear them in the street, because all glasses are reading glasses, not what we need to see whether there's a horse charging down the street so take great care of your glasses but detail might might not be that important to you you can probably pick stones out of the field whether you can see them brilliantly or not but you could come proper with the manners if you can't identify someone who's dressed posher than you are
0: (laughs) so that could be would i get in trouble for that could i potentially get into trouble for not showing someone proper respect
2: well if it's a horseman he can take his whip to you to knock you out of the way or he can send his servant to shove you aside that sort of thing or he could just barge you with his horse and run you down lords tended not to go on foot but just someone like The alderman of your ward, if you were in London, if you didn't recognise him coming towards you, could take offense at uh, your lack of manners. And it wouldn't be so much punishment as your reputation would take a dive, as that ill-mannered wretch who doesn't show respect. And it was all about respect really it's uh, your good name is perhaps the most important thing you've got in medieval England
0: so it sounds like if I lost my glasses even if I managed to shut up and listen I could still get myself into trouble <laughs> if I can't see anything very well
2: yes yes you could I don't know what really short-sighted people did I think the idea of glasses for short sighted people starts to come in at the very beginning of the 17th century. I think it was someone like Kepler who came up with the idea that if you could make lenses for long sighted people, Maybe you could make them short-sighted people. I guess he was short-sighted himself and uh, so of fiddled around with lenses and came up with something that works. But yes, we could be at a disadvantage.
0: We could get into some big trouble. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of those insights with us, Tony. Tony's new book is entitled How to Survive in Medieval England and will now be firmly tucked under my arm if the TARDIS ever comes calling with a medieval mission for me. You can join Dr Kat Jarman on Tuesday for another brand new episode. Don't forget to also subscribe to Gone Medieval wherever you get your podcasts from and tell all of your friends and family that you've gone medieval. If you have a moment, please do drop us a review or rate us wherever you listen to podcasts, including on Spotify now. It really does help new listeners to find the podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and looking for a bit more medieval goodness in your life, then subscribe to our Medieval Monday newsletter. Just follow the link in the show notes below. Anyway, I'd better let you go. I've been Matt Lewis, and we've just gone medieval with History Hits.
1: And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.